Jesus told us to love God above all and second, to love our neighbor as ourselves. But what does that really mean? Especially when it comes to the LGBTQ plus community. The arguments back and forth of what's accepted, what's not, what's permissible, what's not, wage on and on and on. But the truth is, we're called to love above all else. This week, we're talking with David Hayward, the Naked Pastor, an advocate for homosexuals across the globe. And he shares how we can break free from some of these religious mindsets, how to better understand those around us, and how to listen. This is a challenging episode, but it's completely worth it. And I challenge you to listen to everything being said, take it in, and allow the Holy Spirit to rest. We are for the spiritual nomads, the outcasts, and the ones who desire to ask the hard questions. A shelter in the desert. A safe place to share our thoughts, our hopes, and our dreams. We are pursuing the truth, and we don't care about the consequences. We invite you to come and sit at our table and be a part of our tribe. We are brave. We are bold. We are the Reckless Pursuit. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Reckless Pursuit. My name is Cody. And my name is Elaine. And today we have David Hayward back in action, the naked pastor, talking about probably one of the least controversial things we've ever talked about here on The Reckless Pursuit, the church's views with LGBTQ+. So if this doesn't already start stirring some emotions in you, then I don't know what to say. Honestly, this is a topic that I am not educated to talk in or about whatsoever. It is something Elaine and I have had on our hearts to share on, to touch on, and we are <laughs> over a year and a half in, and this is something we've thought about since day one. We just didn't have the resources, the connections to do it adequate justice because we don't know. We, we're not. We're not in that community. We're not in that pulse, but David has been and is, and so this is a kickoff to a series we are doing on homosexuality in the church and I just I cannot encourage you enough to truck it out if it challenges some religious mindsets allow that to happen but just take in the words that are being said and don't don't jump straight to conclusions maybe you're already past this that's great but whatever it is let the words sink in so we can all come together to just just garner a greater understanding of one another that's really where it's at it's just garnering this deeper understanding and love just for your neighbor, loving your neighbor as yourself. And so before we get into that, real quick, just a quick plug. If you are not part of Nomads, I would highly encourage you to go down to the show notes below and ask to be a part. That is our private community group where we keep this conversation going. And I think there's going to be plenty of conversation to be had throughout this month for sure as we go through and talk about these hard emotional topics, but I don't want to waste any time. I want to dive right into this with David Hayward, the naked pastor, talking about LGBTQ plus in the church and how to love your neighbor. Let's get right to it. All right, everyone. David Hayward, the naked pastor, is back with us today to talk about something that Elaine and I have had on our hearts for a while to talk about. We just don't know how. And yes. He seems like the guy that knows what he's talking about behind it. So, David, welcome back. How are you doing? I'm doing great. <laughs> Disclaimer right off the front. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I feel We're a lot, all, though, so. Uh, yeah, that, that, yeah. That's, that makes uh, us feel better. <laughs> yeah, hey, if you feel, that's uh, a lot yeah. of times I think feelings are stronger than thoughts. So. Yes. <laughs> all right. Yeah. And uh, just to kind of throw it out there, here's what we are talking about today. We are talking about... Uh, Church and the LGBTQ plus community. David, where do we even start with this? There's so much back and forth between the, the LGBT community. You have the church. You have traditional church. You have some churches now rallying for them. You have these hug rallies. You have all these things going on. It's such a volatile topic. I feel like it is probably one of, if not the biggest forefront topic in churchianity right now. Mm -hmm. So where where do we even start? Just kind of what's a rundown of the state of things? Where are people at with this? What's some of right. the emotions involved, all of that? Right. 
I, I agree. It's really volatile, and, and um, that's why uh, it's, it's a hot topic, and that's why I, I, I talk about it a lot. A lot of my cartoons, I, at least one a week lately, I've been doing an LGBTQ plus cartoon. Um, a lot of them involve sheep, <laughs> but uh, and people people love them. And and uh, I, I but I often get asked, why do you draw so many LGBTQ cartoons? Are you gay? You know, um, kind of thing. And I'm like, no, I'm an ally. And uh, but. Uh, the reason why I, I talk about this a lot is because it's almost like this is the hill that we need to be willing to die on. It's almost like if, if the church will finally accept and embrace and include the LGBTQ plus community, then that's, that's huge. That's, if they'll let a gay person in, <laughs> they'll let anybody in. A transgender person, they'll let anybody. It's almost like, you know, this is where the the line has been drawn, and this is where the battle has to be fought. And so, you know, I I have a I have a friend who um, goes to a church that is not LGBTQ affirming, and and they'd like us to come to that church, and they're like, you know, the gay issue that's only like two percent of their issue. Everything else, everything else is great. The worship is great. The sermons are great. They got great programs and all this. And the gay thing that hardly comes up, but like two percent. And I'm like, no, the whole that whole gay, you know, LGBTQ plus issue is not two percent. It it indicates a deep rooted issue in their theology that refuses to accept and embrace a whole class of people <laughs> based on their sexuality or gender or, or whatever. And so it's not just two percent. It's a hundred percent. It's kind of like Jesus when he said, be wareful of the yeast, because all it takes is one tiny little speck of yeast, and it's going to ruin the whole batch. And, and that's what I, my attitude is about the whole LGBTQ plus issue in the church, is a lot of them think, you know, it's a minor sidebar kind of an issue, when in fact, it's that little bit of yeast that's ruining the whole batch. And because one little speck of law spoils grace. I mean, you can't, you can't have grace plus law. It's grace or law. And, and that was Jesus' warning, was that little, bit of, that little bit of law is that little bit of yeast that'll ruin the whole batch. So anyway, rant and sermon over. That's my introduction to why, why I'm talking about this. Of, about your comics is that you have Jesus with the sheep where everyone else is like, you know, they're, they're not godly. They're not welcomed in the church. But Jesus himself is sitting there eating lunch with them, walking with them, saying, I love you. But all these people who proclaim that they love Jesus don't love these people that Jesus is actually loving and seeking after on purpose. Yeah, that's really good. What is it? I'm trying to find a Bible verse real quick um, because I saw it the other day and it so reminded me of some of your comics. Go ahead. What were you about to say? Yeah, my cartoons with uh, Jesus with the LGBTQ people or sheep or whatever. Um, they're so it's so fun to watch people's reactions because you can't unsee what what something once you see Jesus hanging out with gay people or transgender people or whatever. You you can't unsee that, and it's very offensive to some people that I've done that that I put the two together and. Um, and then for others, it's very comforting. I mean, I even got some messages from people today saying, I can't believe some of the messages I get from people who were like, you know, I really thought I was an outsider, rejected, not included, not accepted or loved. And, and just because of your cartoons, now I do. And because they've seen it and that it's a possibility. So what's that verse, man? Yeah, okay, so it's John 10, 16. I'm not sure which translation is this is because it's a screenshot from Reddit, so I had to go check the Bible real quick and make sure it was actually correct before I shared it, but it is. Uh, so it's, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And every time I see your your comics, that's exactly what I think because like we have segregated sheep into sheep pens, right? Yeah. Yeah. But Jesus is like, yeah. I'm the shepherd of all of these. Yeah. yeah. Like, it doesn't matter what sheep pin, you know, quote unquote, you're in, what category you think you fit in. Right. I'm still the shepherd. Yeah. So, no, I love that's, that. Yeah, that's, that's right. And like the whole, 
the whole thing in Acts where Peter has a vision where um, the sheep descends out of heaven and, you know, everything that was unclean is in that. And then, and then God says, uh, heretofore, everything that I have pronounced unclean is now clean. And, and uh, you can partake. You can include. Every, everybody's invited. Everybody's in. Nobody's out. Everything's clean. No, nothing's unclean. Nobody's unclean. But except, no, there's no except. There's no but. So um, I think the radicals, uh, I know you can pick and choose, you can cherry pick, but the radical thrust, I think, of the theology of the New Testament is inclusion. And, and, um, and I also want to be careful, too. Like a lot of people are, will see my cartoons and saying, yeah. Jesus, even Jesus loves thieves and murderers and pedophiles. He's going to love gay people too. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're equating criminal behavior with gay people. Like that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about everybody's in, everybody's included. Uh, it's not Jesus is going to love you even though you're gay. It's, there's no even though. It's just, just love is love. All means all. And, um, um, so we're all on equal footing. We're all equal. We're all the same. We're all, and we all should. Therefore, that's why. That's why I talk a lot about how um, uh, an idea isn't just isn't good enough. Love isn't good enough. What true love is, but just like liking an idea or saying you love or, or whatever isn't good enough. It has to translate into policy, and and so. Um, it's not enough to say we love gay people. It has to be translated into policy where um, we are all included in the same. I even, I even hate using the word included or allowed or, or embraced because it implies that we're in the center and we're, we're allowing gay people in or, you know, um, tolerating them or, or uh, you know, something like that when I, I don't think that we are in the center. In fact, one of my most offensive cartoons was when um, these sheep are inside a church building and they say to a gay sheep, I'm sorry, but you're not welcome here. Jesus is there. And they say, uh, sorry, you're not welcome here. And then the sheep leaves and Jesus goes with the sheep. I can't believe how many people that upset. Jesus wouldn't do that. He would stay with his people or Jesus, he, he would go with that person, but he would also stay here. It's like all these people trying to figure out a way to, to justify, to, yeah, make, make this work when, you know, there's, there's no in, there's no out. And if, once we, we get around that sort of uh, black and white idea of how the universe is, then. So something, of course, like a big thing with this, this whole conversation right now is, oh, we are a denying church, an accepting church, or an affirming church. Mm-hmm. And what are the lines with these? How? What is the difference between accepting and affirming? And is accepting good enough, or do you have to be affirming? I haven't heard that separation, accepting and affirming, although I can see what people would mean by that. Accepting means you're allowed to uh, come into the stadium. Right. But you can't play. Mm-hmm. affirming would be you're allowed in and you can play. Um, and I've done a lot of cartoons about that as well, um, where uh, it's not enough to be accepting mm-hmm. because it, 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 um, it puts people into classes. It, it makes people, uh, it pu- puts people in uh, a hierarchy of, of virtue or moral mm-hmm. or morale or, or morals or whatever, or right. righteousness. Um, I guess you could almost kind of associate it with uh, like segregation, how like people of color mm. had to sit at the back of the bus. You know, they weren't allowed to sit with the, the you know, white people in the in the church. They had to have their own section. That kind of thing is almost what we've done to the LGBTQ community as well. Yeah. 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 So and it's interesting. You know, there's a lot of similarities between that struggle, the the racial riots and, the you know, the all that thing. Go, that was going on, still going on in the mm-hmm. states and around the world. It, it is very, very similar. In fact, uh, I was looking for a quote before um, our conversation. James Baldwin, the black author in the states, who's died, but um, he wrote this. He said, "We can disagree and still love each other." So everybody, everybody is interested in that, right? We we need to be able to disagree and still love each other. Just because we don't agree doesn't mean we we can't love each other. It doesn't mean we have to hate each other. 
But he continues, and this is the crucial point. He says, unless your disagreement is rooted in my oppression and denial of my humanity and right to exist. Hmm. Right? That's good. So that's good. But that's so powerful because what it what it said, and he's talking about race there, but I I think it parallels with the LGBTQ struggle um, where, you know, people say, hey, you know, we, we disagree when it comes to theology and, you know, the church's relationship with LGBTQ people. We still love gay people and transgender people. But if, if their disagreement with gay or transgender or whatever is, is rooted in their oppression and the, and the denial of their humanity and their right to exist and their equal rights and privileges and everything, then, then we have serious issues. I, I can't love what you think when you think that those mm-hmm. people should be oppressed or yeah. rejected or marginalized or restricted or whatever. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting because you can kind of see like, I know another big headline right now is just some of the, the Baptist church is under a lot of fire right now because a lot of this um, sexual abuse scandals are kind of rising to the surface. It's almost like the equivalent of what happened in the Catholic church, but now it's happening, you know, like it's kind of coming to the Protestant churches as well, kind of coming to light. And it's weird to see Christians rallying around protecting those people, yet we don't protect the people who are just trying to get in in the first place. Like, I don't know, there's just like this weird balance of like, oh, these people are sexually abusing children, but that's forgivable. That's, we can, we can look past that, but we can't look past the fact that someone loves someone of the same sex. We can't look like we can't, you know, we can look past their, you know, their, uh, the way they are, Mm-hmm. And we can accept them, but we can't accept someone over here who's not doing anything like, I mean, come on, like it's sexually assaulting children. Like that's not the same, mm-hmm. like that's, that's a lot different, you know, yeah. even if you're viewing homosexuality as like quote unquote sin, which, you know, we're not here to argue if it is or isn't sin. Even if that's how you view homosexuality, like there's a big difference there, you know, and yet that's, yeah. that's permissible or forgivable but we can't even accept someone who is of the same set or who does love someone of the same sex we can't look past that and i don't know there's just this weird dysfunction between the that's right and the huge difference is consent right right so um and power and so on but that's that's the thing um people people generally are so concerned about institution of the church the church the life of the church and I get this a lot. I get a lot of feedback from people saying I'm too critical of the church and if the church is Christ's bride and, and leave her alone, you're harassing her and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, you know, I listen, I hear them, but um, I'm like, you know what? I, I love the church just as much as you do, if, if not more. And, and therefore I care about when it's abusing its power or taking advantage of people or excluding people or so on. But that, and I think I have, not only a right, but a responsibility to speak up about those things. But people are very um, reluctant to even consider the whole concept of systemic evil. There's, there's individual evil, there's private evil, where, where people do wrong things. And that we as Christians have been taught that we need to forgive and forget and move on and, you know, let those things go, don't get hung up on those things. And, and but the whole systemic evil where this is deeply rooted in the system, this evil that's deeply rooted in the system itself. People are very reluctant to consider that, to see that. A lot of people don't believe in systemic evil and um, don't, even, don't even think about it. They think of it as personal. I believe in systemic evil and um, how we can get so caught up in the, in the power and the privilege and everything inside the church and take advantage of things um, that uh, we we become of the we become a a part of the systemic evil that it, it inflicts on its people, and so that's what I think a lot of what's happening with, like, say, the Roman Catholic Church, with its priests, or with the Baptist Church and its pastors. I've said this for a long time. There's a lot a lot of people are saying, you know what, you're talking about a lot about spiritual abuse or sexual assault and kids and so on. That's very rare. I'm saying you just wait. I mean, I don't think it's rare. I think it's happening a lot more than we know. And then this whole SBC stuff starts coming out in the news. And I think we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I, I completely agree. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. something as far back, like when we first started this, that was one of our very first topics. Mm-hmm. We talked with um, a woman named Christy who wrote a book on her abuse, you know, years ago. Yeah. And right. uh, just talking with her was so enlightening to me, you know, growing up where everything was kind of swept under the rug, you know, everything's kept tidy, right? Everything's yeah. made yeah. to look tidy. And she's like, no, this stuff goes on all the all time. time. Yeah. And ever since then, just trying to, once you start watching for it, it's kind of like, you know, the the syndrome when you buy a red car, you start seeing all the red cars, right? Yeah. Once you're woke up to this, you're like, holy crap, this is a real thing. Mm-hmm. We've just learned to look over it. We have just learned to to gloss over this issue completely. And yet still, it's not a big deal. But this other thing over here, that's just people trying to express their love and trying to exist. Mm-hmm. No, that's the thing we're going to target. So what about homosexuality do you think has stirred up these people? Where where did this come from? Why is this such the a big deal? And I think it kind of t- ties in a little bit even to politics and stuff like that. I mean, there's just a lot of agenda involved in it. But where did this start, uh, in your opinion? Like, why has this become such a hot thing that we have uh, kind of added the if this, then that kind of mentality to? People just love things to be very neat and tidy and com- compartmentalized and black and white. You know, I think we spoke about this last time. It's easier to control uh, people when you tell them how they can be, how they can live. You're either this or that, you know. You can't, there's no gray. There's no in between. And um, this is how you're supposed to live your life. And this is how we're going to manage it. Um, It just makes life a lot easier. And, you know, I think uh, people are just afraid of difference and diversity and change. Um, it it it's produces fear. I mean, we're seeing that right now around the world with the rise of, um, you know, Islamophobia or uh, racism or misogyny or, you know, all kinds of uh, terrible things on the rise or being, being exposed uh, because people are just af- afraid of difference. You know, they, the, 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 the different lifestyles and the, the that is so strange and unusual, you know, um, to them is very, 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 very hard to process. I remember years ago when um, I started getting to know gay people, for example, or transgender people or bisexual people or whatever. And, and now I have a lot of friends who are LGBTQ plus and, um, I rem- but I remember, though, at the beginning of, you know, my learning, my education, just how bizarre it was. <laughs> like, it's just so different. It's different. Their lives are different. And, and uh, in, in, you know, when I'm, I'm talking about sexually and, and so on and so forth. And I was like, it took an effort on my part to, to, you know, keep my brain elastic and my, my mind open and my thoughts fluid. And, and my heart open and accepting and embracing to new things. And, and it's, just, it's just as simple as that. You know, I, I had the privilege. Let's, let's talk about Muslims for a second. Um, I used to, you know, I always thought we should be inclusive and, and embrace Muslims. And, and Islam is a sister religion and blah, 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 so on, so forth. And then I taught English as a second language at a local university. And a lot of my students were Muslim from the Middle East, Arab speaking Muslims and trying to learn English so they could go to our universities. And they're wonderful people. They're beautiful people. The, the most beautiful, gentle, kind, loving, interesting, fascinating people I've ever met, you know? And it, that totally, it, my theology then became experience. My theology that was trying to be open and trying to figure this out suddenly was overcome and proven and everything by actually meeting and, and falling in love with Muslims. And it's the same with uh, pe- gay people um, or transgender people. It's one thing to have a theology and try to figure this out and, you know, how do we include and all this stuff. But when you fall in love with a, a gay person or a transgender person or whatever, it, it works. It just has to work. Talking about this a little bit makes me think um, and curious, what was your stance on homosexuality or what did you grow up with or as in your 
in your Christian walk, what was the primary um, teaching to you about homosexuality and when, mm-hmm. if and when did that shift? Well, I, I, I spent most of my time in the Pentecostal church, so you can pretty oh, much yeah, okay. guess <laughs> what the theology was, right? Right. Uh, but I'll tell you, the first time my theology was challenged was, uh, this was after I'd been to seminary, and we were f- good friends with a couple who uh, lived in the States, and we were in Canada. And we would meet like once or twice a year somewhere at a hotel in, you know, Bangor, Maine or somewhere and uh, hang out for a weekend and catch up and all that kind of thing. So one weekend we were, we were there in Bangor at a hotel and, and um, enjoying ourselves. And we decided to go down to the hot tub. And so we filled up our uh, coffee mugs with wine. <laughs> and we went down to the hot tub, the four of us, and we're there in the hot tub and there were some guys there. And anyway, before we went down to the hot tub, my friend and I, we were talking. They, they were sharing uh, a house with two lesbians. And we were talking about this whole thing. And I'm like, you know, yeah, like um, God loves them, but, the, you know, they, they need to, you know, um, change and, or, or be celibate. That, that, was, that was, I'm talking 30 plus years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking this way. Anyway, so we go to the hot tub. We're drinking our wine. There's some guys there. They join us in the hot tub, a couple of guys. And we just start conversing. What do you do? What do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm actually, I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church. <laughs> and you can just see the blood yep. leave there. Oh, uh-huh. I hate when that happens. Yep. And, and they're like, oh, okay. Um, and they said, well, you might be interested in knowing that we're gay. Oh, yeah. So then we, we ended up talking for like two hours. These guys had been Christian churchgoers. It was found out they were gay. They were kicked out they, uh, of the church. They lost their jobs. Oh, my God. The oil company refused to deliver oil to their homes mm. uh, oh my gosh. because they were gay, et cetera, et cetera. They were telling us all these stories. Yeah. And they, they yeah. were like crying. They were very emotional uh, telling us their stories. And I'm like, that was when my conversion started, you know, about this whole thing. I thought, this does not work, obviously. The, my theology was, you know, crafted in an ivory tower, obviously, in, a, in my safe little bubble. And um, here I meet some gay people who are actually struggling to be accepted and included and not persecuted for being just being who they are. And, and by the church itself. And so that's when my, my change really started. And it took a lot of years um, to, to get to the point where I am today. But yeah, that, that happened like 30 years ago. So the process was long and difficult. But I'll tell you, the key factor in, in assisting me in my, my change, my, my own transformation was just knowing and being friends with, being loved by and loving LGBTQ people. And, and that's key. Like I can tell, for example, yesterday, I noticed there was a, somebody on Twitter, I think it was said something like they, there was a picture of a woman in a, a Muslim woman in a hijab, her face covered. And someone says, how far should we allow women to, you know, how far something to do with how should we allow women to be made to dress like this? And then somebody came back and said, a woman came back and said, how about, how about women just dress the way they want? <laughs> and then people just piled on her. I bet. <laughs> and, and like this, these old Muslim women are oppressed and they are forced to dress this way. And so not true. All the Muslim women I met, there was a couple who, who felt oppressed because they had to wear the you know, hijab that, and they didn't want to. They wanted to westernize. But almost all the Muslim women I knew uh, loved their hijab. They were, it was like a badge of honor and they were proud of it and wouldn't even consider getting rid of it, even if they were allowed to. And, you know, you might say, yeah, that's cultural conditioning and so on and so forth. But they, 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 at that moment, they felt it was their right and their privilege, privilege to wear the hijab. And, and, and I could tell the people who did not know Muslim women who love their hijabs, you can tell when somebody doesn't know somebody like that. Because then they they become opinionated. Any woman who's wearing hijab is oppressed and is being forced to wear that. It's not true. That's just a flat out lie. And so 
But once you get to know the people, once you get to know, so let's go back to LGBTQ+, once you start knowing and understanding and loving and caring for a gay person, for example, or a transgender person, then everything changes, unless your heart's really hard. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, you know, there's something you just were talking about there, kind of going back to the, the hijab thing. To me, you said it could be culturally conditioned, which is fine. I mean, that's why we wear denim jeans and flannel shirts. It's just a cultural condition because that's our style. Something else that's very interesting to me is a lot of times the very same cultures that say, hey, this is bad. Like, that's a symbolism of terrorism and things. I mean, come on, because that's what gets said, right? Like, it's an extremist point of view. I'm like, these are the same churches where you have to wear denim skirts and can't cut your mm -hmm. hair. Or you right. have, if you're a girl, you have to wear a dress versus guys are expected to wear. Like, we have those two. They may right. be a westernized version, but I personally have been kicked out of a church with my mother because she wore dress jeans to a Baptist church instead of a dress. This was the 90s, but we got kicked out for it. She was told she couldn't come back if she doesn't wear a dress. Yeah. Come on. Like, it's the same thing. You know, yeah, it's yeah, it all is. these conditions that we apply through this whole Sunday best, you know, that applies over to sexuality, to appearance, to all these things, these filters that are unbiblical filters. These are things that we've just made up because we have done it for so long. We have used it. And like you said, it's easier to control what we can categorize. It's easier to control yeah. what we can kind of put a box on. So with that being said, there are a lot of people that are very uncomfortable with this idea. And their first gut reaction, because this is what we are trained to do, is, but the Bible says this. Right. What is your response to that? Well, my, my response to that is, um, please read my highlight on Instagram. <laughs> 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 because I, I, I get that so much, too. Like, I, I get, when I do an LGBTQ plus cartoon, I mean, I just did one yesterday, and sure enough, I get the Bible verses quoted at me. Mm -hmm. as if you know first of all can, can i just read what i i wrote for my highlighted story yeah. short yeah. yeah please i said here's my explanation for being an lgbtq ally the bible people say i should read the bible and then they quote verses at me but i studied the bible since childhood i went to bible college and got my bachelor's in bible i went to seminary and got my master's in bible then my diploma in ministry i took years of original languages greek hebrew aramaic preached from the Bible, and read commentaries and theologians for over 30 years. So please don't tell me. Don't quote me <laughs> yeah. as a reader. Yeah. Okay? You already know the scripture. Yeah. <laughs> so then theology. What caused my theological anguish was who was in and who was out. How could a gracious God condemn people just for being who they were? Catholics, Jews, Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, atheists, and LGBTQ folk. I thought my choice was accept everyone and reject the Bible, or accept the Bible and reject almost everyone. The Bible didn't help. Theologians didn't help. Opinions didn't help. There are qualified verses, versions, and voices from all factions. So I poured over all the scriptures until I was ready to give up in total frustration. So my basic point there is I, you can study the Bible until you bleed out your eyeballs. It's not going to help. Um, peace. Then in 2009, I finally saw one day I was confused. The next day I was at peace. I saw that we are essentially one. There's one reality, and we each apprehend it through our own mindsets and articulate it through our own languages. One reality, many thoughts and words. Our different words express our different thoughts of this one reality. All scriptures and theologies are human thoughts and words trying to apprehend and articulate this one reality. Leave our thoughts that endorse our intellectual divisions and cling to our words that enforce our thoughts, and they will manifest in our world and relationships as divisive. Once we pierce this conditioning, we are free to love beyond opinions and arguments. So my whole point about that is, one day I, I, I realized, I saw on a very deep level, we're connected. And the only thing, we talked about this last time, the only thing that seems to separate us is our thoughts and our language. It's, it's just words. And unfortunately, it's, it's those who are in power that can wield their thoughts and their words and make laws that are unjust, unjust and unfair and marginalize and reject and, and persecute people. But if we could see underneath all this stuff, all this theology, all these words, all these scriptures, all these voices, and see that we're essentially one, and um, it's like that unity and diversity thing. I really do believe in that, unity and diversity. And um, 
I think we're very diverse, including sexually and gender-wise, and um, that. At, but at an essential level, we're we're at one. So when somebody comes at me with a scripture verse, I send them to that because I can't keep writing it over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I get it. There's theologians arguing on both sides of the case. There's evidence for and against. There's lawyers for the prosecution, lawyers for the defense. <laughs> but it's that that debate's gonna and that court case is gonna go on forever. I'm afraid. So I can't wait for a conclusion. Love has to decide what's going to happen now. And, and uh, I really do believe that means seeing that we're all one, you know, in, regardless of our sexual orientation or whatever. That's powerful, man. Yeah. You're making me tear up over here. <laughs> so what are some changes specifically for the church and religion? How do we become more inclusive? How do we be more welcoming and inviting. And whenever we have church signs that say, you are welcomed here, how do we actually mean that? How do we actually mean that without judgment, without trying to change people? I, I You know what? I, I get it. I used to be a pastor. Like I said, I was a pastor of a church for a long, long time. And you know, I'd have people come up to me secretly and say, I'm gay. I'm a lesbian. I'm, am I welcome here? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And then the next Sunday, she'd show up with her girlfriend, and they'd be holding hands. And then I knew, oh, shit. Excuse me. You're fine. <laughs> You're not the first. I'm like, oh, shit. Here we go. Because yeah. it's one thing to, you know, kind of on the sly say, yeah, you're welcome. Come on. Gays are mm-hmm. welcome. Everything. But then when they start being gay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's where the accepting and affirming kind of comes from. It's like I'm, you're accepted. But yeah. your actions aren't accepted. Exactly. So that that was another big uh, milestone for me when they were holding hands and worshiping together. Um, I knew, oh, here we go. Here we go. And sure enough, because now it wasn't just me accepting or including or welcoming, welcoming a gay person. It Now it was going to have to turn into policy. And that's mm-hmm. where the hard part starts. And I get it. I get it. I get. I know there's pastors out there that want to be affirming and have affirming churches, and I know they're up against a mountain of mm-hmm. tradition and uh, rules and expectations and prejudices, and I know how difficult it is for churches to change policy. I know. But uh, you've got to start somewhere. You know what? One of the things I learned a long time ago was the best way to... Um, start dealing with a serious issue is just throw in the first grenade and, and, and stir it up. Instead of uh, being so diplomatic and, you know, appeasing everybody's feelings and trying to navigate in, in a nice and friendly way, just say, we've got gay people coming to this church and I think they should be fully included and, and embrace and have total equal uh, status. What do you guys think? There's the grenade. You've thrown it in. Something has to happen from that, uh, that point on. You might lose your job. The church might blow up. You might lose leaders. You might have a church split, you know, but, you know, that's, that might be the cost of, of, uh, of change. You know, I have a couple of thoughts on that. One of which is I think we have too many church leaders more fearful of their job than they are fearful of preaching love. And that's a, that's a condition of itself. Yeah. Right and there. you know what? It's a legitimate fear. I, I've been there I, and I don't, I don't, I don't judge them because uh, I've been there. I've totally been there where I knew, you know what? If I do this, I could lose my job. I've got a wife and three kids. I've got a home and a car and three mouths to feed, five mouths if we could us. <laughs> you know, it, it's scary. It's very, very, very frightening, terrifying to um, consider taking steps to lose your job or maybe even a more noble one, blowing up a church. Um, you know, there, there's... There's legitimate fears, and I, I totally get it. I totally understand pastors who are afraid to proceed and churches that are afraid to make change. Because let's say a, a Methodist church, for example. Like I, I, I was a guest speaker in a Methodist church a few several years ago that was affirming and had gay people on staff, but it went against the norm. It was going against the flow, and I know it was being persecuted, and the pastor was being persecuted in ways that I can't really share. but. Um, because a church that's a part of a denomination, you, you, 
you've not only got your own church to deal with, you've got the denomination to deal with. And it's, it's, it is mountainous. I, I totally get it. It's not easy. Yeah. Well, no. and, and it's interesting because I know like when I think of, I've heard this so many times, like Christians are being persecuted, you know, like we're getting attacked for our faith or whatever. But honestly, the ones that are really getting attacked are the ones standing up to a lot yeah. of this. Like the people mm -hmm. preaching, we're being attacked, aren't the ones getting attacked. They're the ones attacking, which is, I mean, most of your comics, you had the one the other day mm -hmm. of the all the sheep throwing the stones. And I was like, that, that mm -hmm. is exactly, yes. It's one thing to say, I'm being attacked, I'm being forced to love somebody I don't like, <laughs> than somebody who's, I, I'm being persecuted, people are being taught to hate and persecute me, and I, I'm not allowed in. That's to two totally different pains. That's good. And I was actually about to ask you, is there an attack on traditional Christianity? And like, I think that kind of just sums it up right there is we view them as attack, you know, air quotes, attacking us, the traditional Christians, you know, oh, we're being attacked by them. And it's like this us versus them. But in reality, they're over here like, no, like you're teaching people to literally despise us, yeah. to not serve us at your facilities, to deny us service, to treat us as outcasts. You're just scared of us holding hands in your church. Right. And that's that's goes back to the whole James Baldwin quote. It's okay to disagree, and and we can love each other unless your disagreement's rooted in my, you know, destruction. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. What can the church learn from the LGBTQ plus community? Well, the first thing that has to happen is got to let them in. Yeah, that's and, true. and include them, and, and 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 hear their voice. You know, that that's the problem. Is uh, for many, they're not allowed in. If they are allowed in, they're not allowed. A voice they're not no power is shared with them and but if if you would let them in and listen to them even on a personal one-on-one -on -one level if people would just uh, you know sit down and listen to a gay person's story or a transgender person person's story oh my goodness the stories I've heard trans transgender people it's just like it would kill you if you have a heart um, you know what they what they've gone through if, a, if a, a group of people could sit down and listen to uh, a transgender person share their story and their struggle, I wonder how many hearts that would change, you know? And uh, I think it, it teaches us a lot about uh, inclusion. It teaches us a lot about um, having what a dualistic worldview looks like. Um, it teaches us a lot about who's in, who's out. Is that even a valid way of looking at the world? And and so on. So we have a lot to learn from each other. Uh, yeah, have you seen that? It's very pop. It became very popular on uh, a video uh, of a, a white guy who was very racist. And I forget what happened to him, but he suddenly realized he was racist and didn't want to be racist anymore. I think he was talking on the phone with a, a, a black woman. And, and so they ended up, he asked if they could speak or, or whatever. And he got to know, they got to know each other. And he, asked for her help and um, they became good friends and you know now he's thoughtfully and in, in a mature way dealing with his racism you know it's a it's an incredible video but um i think if we all did that on a one-on-one -on -one level with with uh gay people or transgender people or whatever um i think we would learn a whole lot mm -hmm. yeah and that just reminds me of like the whole you know down i don't know if this is everywhere but like i said we're from the south so that's what we know uh, you know, preaching revival, revival. Oh, revival's about to happen. Well, revival is something Already that happens happening. in you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's an individual thing. You want revival, do what you're saying. Like, go sit down with someone who's different than you and learn. Mm -hmm. Learn something about admit someone else. Admit that you don't have all the answers. Admit that you don't know how to talk about it, but you want to learn more. And I right. think that we just, a lot of people have this God complex of, well, the Bible says this and I have all the answers and you should just follow the follow the scripture and it's like well actually the scripture says this says to love mm -hmm. your neighbor it doesn't say love your neighbor but if they're gay don't love them or if right. they're muslim don't love them it says love your neighbor and that's it right like, there's no stipulation to that that's right. like a tweet i saw yesterday you know the whole uh um, fred mr rogers movies out mm -hmm. now and everybody's talking about it and and uh somebody tweeted yeah yeah, we should love our neighbors, but they need to be legal immigrants. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that guy did not get the point. <laughs> you yeah. missed it. Yeah, yeah, that went right over your head. <laughs> the whole revival thing, I think a parable that 
applies right now is the whole wineskin thing. The new wine, I think, right now really is the LGBTQ plus Muslims, you know, people of color, Mexicans, immigrants, refugees, like all, all this stuff, the other. And here we are, white people talking about it, right? Which is right. problematic <laughs> right from the beginning. But yeah. <laughs> um, white straight people as well. But yeah, the, the whole idea of the wineskin is that what the old wineskins can't contain. They can't hold the new wine. They're going to burst. And uh, th- that's, it, that's messy. Th- that's where the, the, the wine gets spilt everywhere. It goes everywhere. And it takes, you know, it takes new wine, takes new wineskins. Have I got that right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and um, I think that's talking about structures and, and institutions and policies, the containers of, of uh, this new wine. And I think this is the new wine we're talking about. It's a new, it's a hot topic right now. It's, it's a huge issue. You can't take the new wine into these old ways of doing things, these old systems, these old policies, these old rules and old traditions and orthodoxies and everything. Uh, it's going to take dramatic change and uh, in order to hold this stuff. So that's what I, I, we talk about, you know, People have this idea of revivals or renewals being so lovely and enjoyable and happy times, you know, when <laughs> it could be very, very messy and dislocating and decentralizing for those in power. That's really good. So my final questions to you, um, twofold, because it's going to go both ways. And uh, I want to preface this by saying um, you can pretty much go and find David on any of his platforms. And you're going to get a ton of these questions already asked because that's what he does well. So go find him, go follow him because his work is marvelous. I think like I share your stuff pretty much more than anything else because yeah. I'm like, that's our message. That's yes. our, like, go for it. So, um, but the final question, of course, we pose of like asking you to pose a question to another group. So what question would you ask to traditional Christians in regards to the LGBT Q plus community to help them grow and to help them think. Do you know a gay person? Is there a gay person oh. in your family? <laughs> uh, a transgender person? Yeah. It, and if you do, just talk and listen. Just mm-hmm. listen to them. It's good. Yeah. So that's what I would ask. Do you know a gay person? Do you know a transgender person? And um, start from there. That's good. Because that, that, like I said before, I don't think arguments and, and debate is going to change people's minds. Yeah. It's going to take an, a profound experience uh, to unlock uh, our theologies. So start by meeting someone, or if you know someone, getting to know them. That's yeah. good. And to flip that question, what question would you ask to someone who is of the LGBTQ plus community to... Uh, to traditional Christians to help them kind of come together? Like what is a question you would pose to them to kind of help them help others? Hmm. Will you be my neighbor? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing the Fred, uh, Mr. Rogers movie. Mm -hmm. I am too. I I can't, I can't go to a theater to watch it because I don't like crying in public. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, I think, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't like um, suggesting to uh, gay people that they need to do something or they should ask a question. Mm-hmm. That's my hesitancy in answering your question. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. That's a uh, valid point. Because um, I think the onus is on the church uh, to be asking the questions and in inviting, open opening their, their minds and their hearts. Uh, I think just being a gay person or a transgender person is a prophetic existence. Just by being, just by being a gay believer or a transgender Christian or whatever is a prophetic way of, of being. And, and um, we know what happens to the prophets. They get stoned. So uh, I, I, and, and that, that's their, you know, that's their fate. Um, their curse or or maybe their blessing and i know a lot of i know a lot of gay people who are trying to be quiet and not stir the waters and i totally get it 
and then there are no other gay people who are, are fighting for their rights and privileges and, and so on. And, you know, it, but just being gay, I did a whole book on the art of coming out, a whole book on, on LGBTQ cartoons. And uh, it's just a coming out is essentially coming out as a prophet. And basically you're saying, I'm going to challenge everything you think about the world and God and, and, you know, the church and everything just by existing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I have so much respect for, for them. So mm -hmm. very good. Any closing thoughts before we wrap up here? No, but that was, that was, uh, that was intense. <laughs> David, thank you so much yes, for being you. open, for being vocal about these issues. I appreciate it so much. Everyone, if you're listening and you don't follow the naked pastor on pretty much everything, you're pretty much missing out on one of the greatest joys of life. Go find oh, his work, you. support his work, get his t-shirts. I've been seeing some of your shirts. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I got to get some of these. Yes. Uh, support him on Etsy. We'll have all the links to where to find him, where to to get his um, apparel and to uh, get his artwork is just uh, some of your Sophia is it's Sophia drawings, correct? Mm, I had actually mm. never heard of this until recently. And some yeah. of those drawings are very powerful. Mm -hmm. And uh, go get some of his work and support what he does. David, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on the show again. And we look forward to uh, what the future holds. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. David, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, David. I love your heart. I love that you are a voice crying out to so many people who are stuck in just traditional Christianity to say, hey, love over fear, love over hatred, and just to express to people that Jesus' love goes so far beyond what we allow it to Everyone, we did a final five with David where he just ran down a few key mindsets to help us overcome some of our just uh, the religious mindsets that we have worked ourselves into and be more loving. Head over to therecklesspursuit.com forward slash subscribe to find that and we'll be sending that out via email. You have all week to get on board with that. And ultimately, it will actually be in our new program we are creating, Nomads Academy. More about that in the future. If you enjoyed this episode, I would highly encourage you to share it on with a friend. That is the best way to keep the conversation going. And if you have not done so so far, go click that subscribe button. That way you can keep up to date with all things The Reckless Pursuit. We have new episodes. Go find David, support everything David does, grab uh, some of his artwork, follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. His comics are life-giving to me. I so look forward to seeing them every time they come out. We love you guys, and as always, be brave, be bold, and be reckless. We'll, we'll talk, talk soon. soon.